Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Gary Young is growing in a growing business. As streaming is growing, royalty exchanges helping artists and other folks who've got intellectual property bring the money in now, matching by auction, buyers and sellers. We'll tell you about it as we go through the podcast. But it's interesting is who can grow as streaming grows. And Gary shows us how new businesses are coming in and can come in that will help us make this business make even more sense in the future. Intellectual property is, at least in the United States, a legal monopoly on an idea or a sound or a song, that sort of thing. So think copyrights for music or copyrights for books or patents on a drug, that sort of thing. So it's not just music. It is anything that is somebody's thought that has been officially registered. Do they have to have filed a a copyright? And and is it just U.S.? It's not just U.S. And generally the criteria that we look for is, is it earning royalties, that intellectual property? And I have a feeling you're going to ask me what royalties are. (laughs) So we can walk through those, too? Well, part of it is people have an assumption of what royalties are, but they may not know what royalties are. Totally, totally. I think I think there's a lot of people that assume they know what it means, and I think you're absolutely right. So royalties is basically a payment that you receive when someone uses your intellectual property. It's a cut off the top. It's one of those things where if someone wants to use it or buy it or stream it, all those sorts of things, especially in the context of music, you're going to get paid a royalty if you're the songwriter or the artist or the producer, label or the publisher. So it's not necessarily, but it might include if you get paid up front for something that you might get your royalties advanced, but this is really an opportunity because some come in over time? Yep. Okay. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so I think it's it's a time value of money calculation in many instances where Someone, say a songwriter, has written a hit song. They're making money every time it plays on the radio, every time you stream it on Spotify. But they want to put in a new home studio. And they know they're going to get paid for that song for a long time. What we do is we connect them with private investors who want to buy a piece of those future royalties. And then we facilitate that transaction happening. How the heck did you get into this? Hmm, good question. One of my partners, Jeff, actually found Royalty Exchange, the business, and he was interested in it from a financial standpoint as an investor to buy these types of things. Over the course of a few months following the site, he got the opportunity to acquire the business from the guys who started it, and that's what we did. And that was October 2015, roughly. So actually don't come from the music industry at all. Well, you don't come from music. What do you come from? So this is my second second company. The first company was a software as a service marketing analytics platform, so much more boring than this. And then before that, I wrote advertisements 
for you know, a couple different companies as a copywriter. It's interesting. So about half the people we've had on this podcast, which is about music and innovation, don't come from music, but come from other areas where they've been dealing with different types of innovations and have come into music. But So you have a perspective of not just looking at the music world, but looking at other technology spaces. Mm-hmm. What what brings you into being in these innovative spaces in both music and other technologies? I think in many instances, it's looking for a problem to solve and a way that you can create value for people. Uh, I think for what we're doing at Royalty Exchange, I mean, it's one of those situations where there's some sources of financing of capital for rights holders, but I think bringing more money into the music industry drives higher prices, better deals for rights holders. So I think that's interesting. And then on the investor side, not to get too wonky finance-wise, but there is in the world of September 2017, there is huge demand in the market for assets that produce income. Basically, since the financial crisis, interest rates have been effectively zero or very, very low. And what that means is that people that are putting money away and trying to earn interest payments, income, yield, whether it's in retirement or to fund their lifestyle, there's just not that many options out there. Royalty exchange on the buyer side solves that problem by providing those folks with music catalogs or songs that have a track record of producing income that they can add to their portfolio. So it's something that is an asset class that's also not correlated with the results of the stock market as well. Exactly right. And that's one of the other yeah, that's one of the other things that people really like about it is a catalog earns based on the popularity of the artist and the usage. It doesn't matter if credit default swaps are blowing up the financial markets. People still listen to music and those things still pay. And is this, I'm, so I'm going to get a little wonky on my side. Um, as some people Let's know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 10-year banker before and was doing a whole bunch of financial structures. So, so this stuff is an artist would come in or a, uh, an author or other folks that have a whole stream of rights coming in and they would then be match made with an investor who might be just wanting this to come in as a nice stream of revenue. Is it that also it gets created into a portfolio with other artists' work? So someone's getting a stream of multiple types of things? Or are, are you guys packaging so that a lot of different people are able to diversify what they're doing? Or is it is it more of a matchmaking type role? It's a little bit of both. The big thing is, so we run auctions. So we the way we do matchmaking is we match up the rights holder with whoever will pay the highest price for their catalog. And we do that via traditional online auction. We like that because one, it introduces competition into the market, which I think is important because, you know, in the past catalogs were bought and sold, but generally there, this was done in backroom deals where maybe there was one or two buyers and we're bringing 20,000 plus buyers to the space. But I think that so there's that competition piece. 
And then the transparency of having the auctions online is important. And then I think when it comes to packaging these things, we haven't done that yet. So every deal that we do on our site has one buyer and one seller. So no tranching or finding, creating sort of different risk profiles or debt type structures or all sorts of fun stuff like that. Yeah, not not yet. I mean, we've stuck to the asset sale only. And so a lot of the investors on our site are interested in them because of how long these assets can pay royalties for, too. So they're looking at it from a much longer time frame than a lot of uh, folks that are investing today. So so could our listeners uh, be able to buy, or do they have to be qualified investors, which is of a certain um, asset level? Yeah, so because it's asset sales, there's no requirement for investors to be accredited or qualified. Mm -hmm. The big thing is just the size of our deals tend to mean that most of the investors on our site are accredited. What are the size of the deals? Average, I haven't looked at this in a, in a while, but the average deal size is about $55,000. Interesting. And it's such an interesting time to be doing this, at least on the music side, as now we've got so many, um, I was going to say streams of revenue, but streams being the operative word there with, with, the, with the flow increasing extensively. How does this work with you guys taking a look at a changing music industry and how the music side of this business has been changing or growing for you? The way I think about it is 2015 was the first time the music industry grew in like 20 years, right? And now we're September 2017. I view this as the beginning of a big and long period of sustained growth for the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there was a period of post-Napster iTunes where there was this kind of battle between physical, digital downloads, that sort of thing. And the st- streaming, at least to me, seems as though it's a, an ideal business model in a world where there's no real additional cost to distribute content. I think the industry is entering into this growth phase or it's already really started, but I think it'll accelerate as more people adopt streaming. So is the time good because there's a much bigger volume of prospective money that people would like to monetize now or that there's also a lot more data for predictability of the flows? I mean, are are you essentially only having people bid on known streams or is it the fact that I'm an artist I have this track out and we don't know what the incoming streams will be definitively we just know it's on a growth trajectory and somebody is buying that ride yeah so most of the stuff we do is streams that are proven and have a track record Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact 95 percent um and so we do that because you know the investors on our site, meaning the buyers in the in the auction or bidders in the auction, are looking not necessarily to speculate, but to buy a stream of income that they can model out how much it's uh, how much it's earning, how much they expect it to earn in the future. And I think ten years ago, doing that would have been very difficult. But I think the industry. Uh, has taken some some steps that really improve the quality of the data. And I think there's a lot of room to improve there, and we could definitely talk about that. But 
I think that combination of data plus more and more streams coming online makes it pretty exciting. So what data, we've had a lot of data folks on this show already talking about innovation as to analytical information or be able to do predicting what could be happening with um, uh, bands and fans in the future. What data are your buyers using and have access to? On our site, with each auction that we put up, we provide a lot of data that because we do the due diligence on the asset. Let's say, for example, that we're talking about a songwriter share from ASCAP of one song, just to keep it fairly simple. What we do is we provide the historical earnings data for that song, which includes where it was played, uh, what medium it was played on, what's the name of the song, were there any remixes, uh, compilations, that sort of stuff. And so all of that is going into the listings on our site. So the investors are going to have basically raw data to analyze themselves, but also we do some analysis within the, uh, the listing itself. So you can see, is it trending up? Is it trending down? Is it flat? What are the sources of income? What countries are really popular? So that, that sort of data has, uh, has become better over time and uh, is what our investors use to evaluate these types of catalogs and assets. So it's not prospective business or what similar artists are doing as to continuing streams. There, there's not a kind of on the prospect side. No. So, so an artist could, is selling essentially a time period too? I'm not sure what you mean by that. So that it's this song's rights of what's been played and collectible for uh, X period of time and not 10 years in the future? Oh, I see what you mean. So generally, the way we structure the deals is it is for the life of the copyright. Okay. But we are quite flexible when it comes to how we can slice those up. So I'll give you an example. So we had a songwriter reach out to us who had written a, a pretty, or I guess he's the son of a songwriter who'd written a pretty big Barry White song. And we actually sold just 25% of the PRO writer share on that song, 25% of his share. And that was for the life of the copyright but he still kept 75% of those future earnings. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So how do people find you on both sides? Mm, good question. On the both, basically growth has been quite organic to date. Uh, we just started doing some sort of Facebook advertising, but a lot of people hear about us because when we work with one songwriter, they tend to tell their co-writers and collaborators about what we do and how, how it worked. Uh, and so, I mean, it's like 55% of our business comes from referrals and uh, repeat customers. So it's been nice to see that because we've been able to drive pretty solid results for the uh, rights holders that we work with and then they tell their friends. So you've been able to do this in multiple businesses, music and others. What is the difference with music or is there any difference with music? Mm. So I think 
it's so I think it's interesting. So I think music is certainly on a growth trajectory that some other creative industries aren't. Um, but in general, if something is a creative work and it is popular and has been popular over time, it isn't super different when it comes to a book or a song. Is it different the type of people you work with or their concerns? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, um, so I think, you know, when it comes to, say, when we work with an independent artist, they're often, they want to fund a tour or build a studio for the band to record in in one of their houses, right? Um, We've worked with some folks in the book publishing industry where they've wanted to uh, sell a piece of the royalties from some of their books and then use that and put that money back into uh, creating more work so is it harder is the music side harder to explain to the music side or do they get it immediately Mm. Uh, yeah I think I think it's definitely been a bit of a challenge explaining what we do and why why we're different I think you know when it comes to royalties and this is really in music because we, we certainly have the most experience there you know in the past the royalty business has been shady there's no real way to, to put a uh, polite veneer on it and there's a lot of bad actors in the space and we're trying and disrupting that with basically taking an honest and transparent approach and building a, a marketplace for these types of things Versus, you know, your standard catalog broker in some music city who's just trying to flip it to uh, a small group of buyers. So has that caused some friction for you? Uh, No, not really. I mean, it's taken us some time to explain what we do. But as we've been able to get great deals for the various parties that we work with, the business is grown and growth has been accelerating quite nicely. So back a bit ago, you commented that innovation is really um, creating value for people. And it looks like that's what you've built this into, but also that trying to find unique solutions, I think was what was, what was framed. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think is, is driving the innovation happening in music? Okay, so I think other than street, other than all of us having computers in our hands now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think um, I think a lot of what has been or what is and will continue to drive music is consumer demand, and so you know as soon as people in in whatever jurisdiction realize that they can basically get all the music or a ton of the music that's ever been recorded and pay the price of one CD per month to get it. I think that, to me, is is revolutionary. And I think it's good as well for the industry. And I think because you know they're collecting money over time for things that were one-off purchases, right? So if you think, if you think about like pre-streaming and pre-digital downloads, the big constraint was distribution, right? Like 
you had record stores or and then you know Walmart Best Buy those organizations and there was a limited amount of shelf space so a lot of things that were marginal didn't get made and now a lot of that stuff is getting made and which is interesting and exciting because yeah so I think that's so on the consumer side that's what's driving the change in innovation in music on the business side I think there is and and rightfully so there should be a focus on finding the pennies that are falling through the cracks right so more efficient royalty tracking and collection better data having a better understanding of who wrote what and those making sure those disputes are resolved and so i think on the on the back end piece is, is getting better insight into the data and finding those pennies that are falling through the cracks because they certainly add up. And I would say, interestingly enough, that another piece of the innovation is the the lower cost to create, that the need for a bank up front as a label is less but more in, a, in means of getting the support where you guys are providing another alternative on the finance side. Yep, exactly. I think... I think you know, and this is this is true elsewhere. As soon as it gets easier and easier to create a product, then the challenge becomes how do you let people know about it and market it, right? And so, in technology more broadly, the cloud services and you know, being able to just go to AWS and have or WordPress even, and have a website in an hour and a half, right? It means that that focus and difficulty is no longer in creating at least the basics. It's always hard to create great stuff, but then the focus on the business side is well, how do you let people know that it exists, right? And um, so I think the what we're trying to do is bring in that alternative financing that has a lot less strings attached than a record label deal. And so, you know, the way the way I think about it is, you know, financial security in many ways creates the environment where artistic freedom can happen. And if you don't have at least some uh, financial security, it's very hard to create and sustain that creation and have a great career. So you have been working with a wide variety of musicians and music organizations. What have been your biggest surprises? Uh, so biggest surprises have been how complicated and often uh, complicated and complex the royalty space is and, and what I mean by that is you know if you look at a royalty statement and you're not a CPA it can often be quite difficult to figure out what it all means about having someone explain it to you and as part of that it shouldn't have but it did surprise me how many creators that we work with struggle to understand how that how they're making money mm -hmm. first and 
what the and how they can make more. And so, and, and I don't like there's there's ways to make it simpler and easier, uh, but they just haven't happened yet. On the artist side, or even on the manager side? Uh, across the board. Okay, interesting. So you're seeing a lot, though, and having your hands in so many different conversations. What are the next new innovations that you are either seeing coming or that you see need to come? Yeah. So I think there's on the B2B industry side, uh, I think a lot of the work that's being done putting information on the blockchain I think is really important. I think it could solve an enormous amount of problems when it comes to collecting royalties, paying royalties, ensuring the right people get the right money. Now, now we've, had, we've had a, a session on blockchain and defined it a lot, but someone may not have heard that session. Can you take 10 seconds to say what the heck blockchain is? So, uh, yeah. So blockchain is a distributed ledger that is uh, doesn't have a central point of failure. What is that? Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I would recommend that they listen to your session on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> but so imagine, okay, so think, think of it like this. You have a, um, let's say you have Mr. Accountant. And Mr. Accountant has a book that in that book it has every single song that was written and who wrote it. Right? But there's only one guy who's got that book. And if he loses the book or if he leaves it as a bu- at a bus station, whatever, right, all that information is gone. The blockchain basically allows you to distribute that ledger everywhere and have people through computing power decide on what is true and what isn't. And that honestly, that was not a great explanation. It's of it, actually better than but, most on it. So, so, yeah. so basically, though, that it's essentially a combination of code and data. That there's a big distributed database that is duplicative, shared across the network about what the actual rights and value are for, let's say, that song. Exactly right. So, so you're saying that blockchain would be is needed or is would be of great value because a lot of people are saying it's. Anything from BS to redundant to creating complications on it, but it would help your business, or that you're just seeing it. It would be a great. It, it's a needed well, element. Yeah, I mean, I think it would certainly help our business, and I think you know anyone who says the blockchain would complicate royalties, like either. Well, yeah, that's that's crazy to me because it's already is really complicated, and it's complicated, and it's. Um, well, it doesn't work that well. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if you think think of this, right, here's an example. So if you are a composer for TV shows right, and you write songs and you write cues and all that good stuff, and one of your shows plays in the United Kingdom, right, there's very – it's almost impossible to figure out which show was playing from your royalty statements and figure out what songs you got paid on because just the, the basically the work ID of that song, especially when it comes to background music on TV shows and film just gets lost basically internationally. 
And if there was a blockchain for that and these rights were registered on it, it wouldn't really matter where in the world it was playing. So. And also when ownership changes, so you're enacting ownership changes, that if that's happening while something exactly. is in flow, then something's got to track back otherwise to say, oh, no, that money now goes to your buyer. So in many exactly. ways, it would flow right into your work. Um, yep. So are there companies, and it doesn't have to be in blockchain, but are there companies, two or three companies maybe that are you're excited about that you're seeing bringing new innovations in? Yeah. So I think uh, I think the guys at Dot Blockchain are doing really interesting work, and I think um, putting the metadata on the blockchain I think is going to be uh, very transformative of the music industry. And I think a lot of people don't get how transformative it will be because they focus on the sexy parts of the business and not the parts that get artists paid mm-hmm. all the time. So I think that's that's really interesting, and I think the work they're doing is is uh, something I'm excited about. I think uh, I think Amazon actually is something to watch, and I know you know in the trades it's always Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, but I think Amazon because of the Echo is going to surge up to if not the forefront certainly into the top three of organizations that uh, are playing music and getting artists paid. Uh, and I think it's interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how a voice first interface changes how music is marketed, distributed, because it's, you know, the, the eternal question, right? If you say play Taylor Swift, what Taylor Swift song do they play? And, uh, and I think figuring that out is, is really will be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think the home speaker, connected speaker market uh, will turn out to be pretty, pretty enormous. Amazon's such an interesting beast. Full disclosure, I'm not an insignificant Amazon shareholder in terms of my own life. And I've been an Amazon shareholder since very early on. Yay. Um, nice. <laughs> it, it, um, my husband thanks me profusely for that decision a long time ago. Um, but it is interesting, though, because a lot of people are meeting with Amazon trying to figure out how to get them, how to how to market into a voice choice system. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting challenge if someone is saying, you know, play me some jazz, what shows up? And how that comes, and how how the metadata and and ingesting into the system and everything else affects a a voice versus visual selection method. Yeah, no, I think it's it'll be really interesting, and I think too the other piece is, you know, it for the music business, I think it has enormous potential to get uh, older demographics onto streaming services that aren't really there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that'll certainly help uh, a lot of classic rock artists on the streaming services. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and all of that Amazon knows what you think, want, love, live, etc., and and has that information more at their fingertips than pretty much anybody except for Google and maybe Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so I think I need to give you one more, right? You can give me one more, and it could be Facebook, because we're sitting here in September 2017, where the news has now come out that they're making offers into the business for chunks of change to negotiate music portfolios. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, that is that is really interesting. I mean, uh, I don't, I'm not sure I'm excited about it yet, but it's, I mean, I think it's always good when one of the large tech platforms starts paying for the music that it's using. Um, so, but I guess my, the third, the third company or group of companies that I'm excited about, and they're not all super new, are uh, are the you know the digital distributors, the permissionless distributors like DistroKid, CD Baby, TuneCore, Stem, uh, because I think. It, it allows, you know, when, when you eliminate gatekeepers and drive the cost of distribution down, it allows things that could have never survived in a world where the constraint was distribution to survive and thrive. And I think that's super exciting and awesome. So people have probably run into CD Baby. They might not have run into STEM or DistroKid. Can you yeah. add to that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So STEM is the newest one and STEMs uh, claim the fame is they do splits really well. So the other uh, digital distributors, CD Baby, TuneCore, DistroKid, don't do a ton of work with splits. So if you have a band, then all the money goes into one band bank account and you can't say, okay, the drummer gets this much, the guitarist gets that much, singer gets you know, that much. So that's what STEM does, and that's their um, innovation in that. And then um, TuneCore and DistroKid are both uh, digital distributors that let you get your music all over the internet. Um, DistroKid's got some interesting uh, new products when it comes to text message marketing your fans. Um, so so they, they do fairly similar things. So before we get to last thoughts, how would someone find you guys? Yeah, so they could find us if they just go to www.royaltyexchange.com. Um, that's probably the best way to, to find us. And we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and that's just at Royalty Exchange on all of those platforms. Well, we've covered a lot about both you guys and the areas around you. Any last thoughts as we wrap up our conversation? Mm. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got some interesting some interesting projects coming up that we should be able to announce publicly in the next few weeks. Um, so people should stay tuned for that. should be interesting. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been illuminating. I don't have that much royalties on my own work coming in still, um, but otherwise I would be knocking on your door and I might be sending a few people your way. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Gigi. Thank you for having us. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. 
Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.